Ahoy and welcome in to another mind-expanding episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Magler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health and pull back the curtain on how mental health treatment works and sometimes how it doesn't. Alongside me, as always, is Mariska, the three-tooth Patterdale Terrier, and she is not licking her paws right now. And you know why that is. It's because you have been doing a good job of rating, reviewing, and telling a friend. Because there's nothing more soothing to the paws of a 13-year-old dog with no wolf with just her three teeth than when she's feeling loved. And she feels the love. When you not only give a five-star review, but you put a comment or two down saying, I really love Mariska's input. She helps my mental health and puts me on a better path. So today, Mariska and I are excited because we were listening to an audiobook. And you know I'm a podcast addict. But you may not also know that I try to slip in some audiobooks as well. And yes, I also listen to those at two and a half times speed, which may scramble some people's brains, but that's just, you know, that's how my brain works. And I'm listening now to Page Boy by Elliot Page. And I love a good celebrity memoir. I love them sometimes to hear other sides of a person that you you might not understand and gather. The, some of the best ones I've listened to recently are Gabrielle Union's two books, because again, she is just so vulnerable and open. Bruce Springsteen's book was amazing, and there's definitely some mental health topics in there that we could unpack at some point. Bono's uh, book is wonderful and fantastic. Um, so there are so many that we can really learn from, and we can see ourselves in. There's this apocryphal story of Nietzsche and Wagner talking, and Nietzsche being frustrated by people using the term genius. And he said, when people say, you know, to Wagner that you, because Wagner didn't mind being called a genius, apparently, but a uh, little bit of a cocky guy. But Nietzsche's point was, it's almost as if they imply that because you're talented, because you're a genius, that it means you, this just comes easily to you, that you don't have to work very hard. And anybody who is a genius or exemplary in any field, they don't get there just by waking up, jumping out of bed and having it happen. That the genius that we see, that we appreciate, whether it's in art or dance or writing, anything, the fields of athletics, the fields of rocket science, there also takes work. It takes grit and it takes grind. And what I love about these celebrity memoirs is that it pulls back the curtain of how did this person fall into this? Matthew McConaughey's memoir, Green Lights, <laughs> he actually did just sort of waltz into Hollywood. His very first time on set, the very first time on set was that iconic time from Days and Confused. All right, all right, all right. That's, you know, Matthew McConaughey just making stuff up on the spot. But beyond that, so many things that he did in his life and things he survived that make him such an interesting person. So I love a celebrity memoir. I love history, biographies, things like that. But Elliot Page's is useful on more levels because it's taking me through the experience of what I, what I like about what Elliot does. And he's, he's sharing from the very first sentences that this story, his story, is not meant to be taken for the experience of all trans people, but that this is his experience of what it's like to grow up and be a trans person and that struggle of figuring out who you are and questioning. And a theme that comes up in the book time and time again is him coming to his friends, the people he trusts the most, and saying, do, do you think I could be trans? And 
his friends describing back to him because then they would review these conversations later on. Man, you were there was so much energy, so much packed into that question, that need, this fear, because this wasn't taken lightly. The experience of sharing who he was, who he is, even just coming out as a queer person, Elliot faced so much pressure to not come out as a queer person because of who Hollywood wanted him to be, how they wanted to present him as, you know, when Elliot was Ellen Page and presenting as female. And I think there's a part of me that is just has my mind blown. We, as humans, if we like someone and we think they're intelligent, we have a tendency to project onto them the thought that they probably feel similarly to the way we do about topics that we care about. So whether it's environmentalism or trans rights or voting or things like that. And we have to be careful because just because a person is charismatic and smart does not mean that they share all the same perspectives that we do. And yesterday, last night, I was at a, a party for my, for my great nephews. There was a shared birthday party for my two great nephews. And even though their birthdays are not terribly close to each other, yeah, it was a warm night. And so my nephew decided, let's get everyone out in the yard and just, you know, have a gathering. And I was um, making a somewhat sarcastic comment about people who are adults who just love Disneyland without having any kids involved. Because um, I was raised to want to always avoid loud and crowd. You know, so my, in my family, we didn't do loud and we don't do crowds. And if we, we could all avoid it. And we're also raised to be pretty cheap. So Disney kind of goes against all of that. And at the party, my brother's brother-in-law was, the, and he's like, hey, I'm a big adult Disney guy. And I said, well, again, I'm really glad I'm mocking you then because I like to mock you for other reasons. But you say, like, you know, I, I was caught off guard because I didn't think anybody who was in my hearing was going to be a big, you know, adults going to Disney without any kids. But then, you know, the nice thing is I got to stop and hear his perspective and him talking about how, gosh, when he went on a Disney cruise with no kids, after about nine o'clock at night, they had the boat all to themselves because all the families with kids were knocked out and in bed. And so it was amazing having a cruise ship that you pretty much had the run of. And the adults who you know, were able to go out either had babysitters or did, came on the boat without kids were able to have a really great time. So sometimes, even if we're sharing statements, we, we just need to be ready to be instructed that our opinions are off base a little bit. Again, back to this idea of when I'm reading Elliot Page's book, I was struck by, I I guess I had kind of thought that as a society, and particularly people in Hollywood are known as being more progressive. And I thought, I would have thought in, you know, 2014, 2015, as Elliot is kind of, his star is on the rise, that we would have been more accepting and open about queer people. And to realize how far from the truth that was and is, and how people who are, we would maybe think of as progressive, still have such anti-trans bias. It has been my experience in even working with people in the queer community that there is a lot of ignorance and derision about trans people. Again, even among you know queer people who have been out themselves for many years, and you would think, well, wouldn't you understand that based on this your experience? But it doesn't necessarily transfer and translate. Anybody who knows the history of feminism knows that black women were often excluded from the leadership roles and the views of feminism. Or even going back to the days when 
Frederick Douglass is helping fight for emancipation, but Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass as close as they were, they had their battles. Because you would think, well, there should be a solidarity among people who have been discriminated against. But there is some of that, but then there's also a, hey, I just got to take care of my community. And sometimes there can be a very unhelpful comparing of scars and wounds and saying, who is the most aggrieved? Regardless, Elliot's book is not in any way about that. It's just more sharing. And it is, if you are a person who has been into, put into situations where you may have sexually traumatizing or uncomfortable situations, there are scenes that are relatively graphically described in the book. Scenes where, and again, trigger warning for anybody who has been put into this, please just stop listening to this part of the podcast for about the next two minutes, fast forward, do whatever else. But scenes where Elliot would probably say, he was there he never said no he never said stop but there was a lack of feeling of autonomy about his body and the right to say no to certain things and put in situations by both men and women where they were pushing past his boundaries and making him feel terrible and i don't there have not been other memoirs that i have read that have really made this feel real and the way that elliot felt trapped by a lot of these things he also does a really nice job of expressing something else that I had not heard in a memoir before about how his parents divorce and being forced to go switch homes and things like that, how that's impacted his dating life even today. We are, you know, Freud was a big believer in so much of who we are today is related to our relationship with our parents. And so that's why so many people, parents are afraid of what is my, what is my kid telling you in there? Are they just blaming everything on me? Because that's kind of the cliche about therapy. But I do think one area where the psychoanalytic model, the Freudians have it right, is that we often do use our parents and our relationship with our parents as our baseline of how love is shared and expressed. And I do think, and in Page Boy, Elliot expresses that this has had a major impact on him. And in his therapy, it's taking him a lot of work to stop bringing that view of love and validation into his relationships. And I think for most of us, if we are finding that we are running into a wall, that perhaps it is related to that. Yesterday I was talking to a client. I, I almost said former client because he doesn't have sessions very regularly. He just reaches out every once in a while. And um, we, again, we were talking about the fact that right now he is in a place where he would claim he's open to relationships, but he's not really, <laughs> if he's being honest with himself. He's afraid to get into relationships. During high school, he was involved in a teen dating violence relationship uh, with a girl who he eventually had to get a restraining order against. And the level of shame that comes for young men when they can't set boundaries that are respected is devastating. People saying and implying that you should be stronger, you should just be able to walk away, you should just not care about this thing. And so for him, it took him a couple of years after that relationship ended to try a new relationship. And that relationship went well, well for a while, as many do, and then one person lost feelings and just or the, the girl he was dating lost feelings just kind of ghosted him. And that was devastating in a different way. But as I was reviewing with him yesterday, that, that was a much more typical experience. But when we're two for two and only having two significant dating experiences and then both ending with feelings of devastation, it's very hard to feel like, yeah, I want to put myself through that again. 
So even though he says to himself, yeah, I want to have love experience, these kind of things, he's walking around the world. And I, and I often say like, there's, we, we need to imagine a diner with that neon open sign and clicking that light on of open, but we're not going to, we shouldn't click that light unless we really are open when we're ready to take that risk. I was talking earlier today with a client and she, she gave me permission to talk about this, but the challenge that she's facing right now in being a person who really keeps intimacy and sex paired together and living in a society today where casual sex, especially for people in their early twenties is the norm. And she's not a particularly religious person. She's just a person who knows that when she has sex with a person, it really bonds her to that, that person. And she does not have sex lightly. And to know that now for her, it, there's this expectation that she doesn't want to start and go on that second or third date because, okay, it may be understandable that you don't have sex after a first date, but where are we after, well, what if I like this person? What if there's chemistry, but how do I tell him? Yeah, it's not for any morality thing. I'm just a person who sex is a big deal to me. And is that person going to think, oh gosh, this girl's got baggage and man, she does have baggage, but I think that this is not related to that, that, that this is just a really healthy thing to know about yourself. I compared it to multitasking in that most people try to multitask and most of them think that they're way better at it than they really are. And they'll, so they'll try and see if they can get away with it. I am a terrible multitasker. I'm so bad at it that when someone's in my office, if they're, they're trying to talk to me and I'm just trying to look up their, pull their file out of the file drawer, I literally have not heard anything they've said while I'm trying to go through the alphabet and find their name. So knowing that I'm terrible at multitasking allows me to actually center in more and just lock into the conversations and be 100% fully present because I can't do it any other way. And again, the good news, I can't get away with it because the person will clearly know, hey, you, you weren't hearing me. You were just trying to check an email. Some people probably could check an email while they're in a session, while they're listening to people. Not me. Can't, can't pull it off. And so again, I think that's actually a benefit to me. And for her, I think it's actually a benefit to her because I know people, I, many of most of the young women I work with will, they'll engage in casual sex at times and try to convince themselves that they're fine with that. And more often than not, they end up really not feeling fine about it. They either end up catching feelings or they end up feeling really gross. And I don't think that there's anything morally wrong with just enjoying a sexual experience with, you know, two consenting adults. Again, I shared with her and I, I think I've shared this on the podcast before I was listening to a podcast where there was a sex expert on, and she asked her eight-year-old son if he knew what sex was. And he said, yeah, it's when two grownups play with each other's bodies to make each other feel good. And wow, that's such an awesome definition. And I think I want to be a sex positive person. I think we all should be. And if we frame sex correctly, it should be again, a really just an exciting, awesome experience for anybody who's involved in it. That being said, we need to know that hopefully we are bringing intimacy along with that, that we are not letting our guard down physically with people that we can't let our guards down with emotionally. And, but again, if a person does choose, if a person's on a vacation and they meet some person that they think is really hot and they've got good chemistry and they want to do that and build a memory, okay, I, hey, I'm down with that. I just, you know, let's not give each other any diseases. Let's be smart. Let's be safe. But if we do that, I, I think, again, the same feeling I have about eating Taco Bell late at night. I really like, I enjoy Taco Bell. I think it's, you know, tasty, 
But if I was to do start making a regular habit of that, I personally would feel a little bit greasy and gross. And I don't think that'd be great for my cholesterol. And so again, for some people, if we do that on a regular basis, sometimes we're going to feel empty inside and we're going to feel this lack of connection. So the most important key though, is know yourself. Another one of my clients, she has pretty well, completely divorced sex from intimacy. And for her, that's working of having sexual relationships that are just, again, for her, it's like working out with somebody or feeling good with somebody. It's just, it's a way of expression and <clears throat> it's not causing her any consistent damage. Now, will that allow her eventually to have long-term intimate relationships? Time will tell. So again, what problem are we solving when and why? For that client that I was talking about who knows that she's facing that quandary and that dilemma of how do I open myself up? And again, both these clients are I'm talking about, the young man who is, is not sure he's ready to be open, the young woman who's concerned. Well, again, we're not gonna find these things. We're not gonna find a partner unless we first of all know what we want. Secondly, then we can kind of express and feel like we deserve that. I would encourage anyone who's listening to this who is interested in mm, tips about dating and emotional relationships to listen to the podcaster and uh, I think he's on YouTube quite a bit, Matthew Hussey. And his podcast is called Love Period Life. And he's got this nice British accent and he often has his brother and his friend and his fiance on sharing perspectives about dating life. And I particularly enjoy the ones that are shorter excerpts that they're 10 to 15 minutes. He has some podcasts that are about 50 minutes or longer and he has these shorter ones. But he's really helping you, the listener, to examine your own value and to say, why am I not standing up for the things that matter to me? And taking this back to Elliot Page, he spent so much pain and so much of his life feeling non-deserving and feeling like he would be rejected by the people he cared about most, by the industry, by that he would lose his career, he would lose everything if he just began to express himself. But it wasn't until, it, not doing that was literally killing him. And there were parts in, and again, for those people who are triggered by deep depression, and he doesn't get terribly graphic in these accounts, but that, yeah, he got to some very dark places where suicide was a possibility. And how sad that is, that this brilliant actor who we are, we all benefit from his performances, from his ability to make emotions come alive on film and TV. We could have lost him because we weren't, we, people were afraid to see him. That people want to hate him and reject him just for sharing who he is. And they see that as a challenge. I feel so blessed every time somebody opens up and shares their life with me. I started out, I, again, I am cishet dude. I come from all the privileged categories. And the only reason I know much of anything about this world is because of my clients who have shared their experiences with me. And when we get the opportunity to hear a memoir of someone who is sharing their truth, their experiences, it can help us to put ourselves in their perspective and to see the world a little bit differently, to change our angle and our perspective. And whether that changes my perspective on being an adult Disney person or helps expand my perspective on what it's like to have to be figuring out your gender identity and risking everything to do it. I'm always grateful when I, I've learned something and see the world in a new way. So if you have questions about my reaction to any other celebrity memoirs, things like that, email me 
at d-m-a-i-g-l-e-r-l-c-s-w at gmail.com. Obviously, if you have questions from Mariska, you pass them along through me. Please check out Pageboy, and I, I highly recommend doing the audiobook version of it because Elliot Page reads it, and I always feel like you get the inflection better. I think you get so much more from a memoir when you do the audiobook. Um, and I get it for free because, I'm again, I'm really cheap on the Overdrive app, so that's the one to check out to see if your local library is a member of that. Um, so check that out and do whatever it takes to get you through this world. Until we speak again, just remember that you are not allowed to die. And now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't want to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. Paws for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or ESA in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog, Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering in silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.